The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. Business Unusual is brought to you by Workforce Staffing. How does one turn disruption into innovation? By using Workforce Staffing's scalable and agile staffing solutions. That is how. How does one connect to the internet, Colin Cullis? Um, I've seen lots of reports of um, Amazon and Google laying bigger and bigger cables around the African continent to give us better and better connectivity. It's brilliant. It is. And, and usually I pick up on things that are still a, a way away. You know, there's a, some, some years from now, this thing could be a thing, whether that be renewable energy, better batteries or, or crazy moonshot ideas. Um, but given how many mm, kind of bad news headlines we've had, uh, especially regarding social media and all the nastiness that Facebook is getting up to, et cetera, and general bad headlines, I, I thought I'd go and have a look to see how far have some of those things progressed. And the impressive thing, when just seeing the slow progress that has been made over time and where it's got us to now, it's quite incredible what we can kind of start taking for granted for access and processing and then what that actually enables. So this is how access and the connectivity uh, added with the the data processing and the big data in these data centers really can spark uh, some really nice innovation. And I started with just the simple access because you're right, the um, the two extra cables that are coming uh, uh, are very impressive. We, South Africa currently has about eight. Uh, what's even more impressive is that prior to 2000, there were no internet cables connecting to South Africa. Uh, and it's, it's mad sometimes to think, what, no internet? And just 20 years ago, you know, none of this existed. Uh, even though the first cables to South Africa, from Europe to, to South Africa, those were laid in the 1800s. Um, it's amazing what we've done in just 20 years. So anyway, those eight cables... Uh, adding a couple of megabytes and, and gigabytes and then ultimately terabytes worth of, of speed have, have truly transformed what we're able to do. And for some comparison, uh, given that many people now are probably used to getting some fiber to the home, this is what it's all based on, the amazing ability to draw bits of glass out to incredible thinness and then send lasers down them, uh, you probably could get yourself a, a fiber connection of about 25 megabits per second. Uh, you need about four megabits per second if you're going to be watching or streaming a, a typical HD movie. So that's that's some context for you as I start ratcheting up these very big numbers. Uh, big numbers. Those first cables could handle about 300 gigabits or 300,000 megabits per second. That's the amount that they were moving up and down. The current eight together deliver somewhere in the region of 100 terabits per second, which is 100 million megabits. The next two cables one from MTN and Facebook, that's the big one called To Africa, and then the one built entirely by Google called Equiano, uh, named for a Nigerian writer. Uh, the, the Facebook one, 180 terabits on its own, and the Google one, 200 terabits on its own. Those two cables individually are greater than the combined current total we have, and they are currently ships out at sea dropping these they're not that big cables as they were. They've got a lot of uh, stuff to protect them, but the cables themselves are actually quite small. Moving that uh, to, to South Africa, 480 terabits per second, which is 480 million megabits per second, is absolutely incredible to think that's going to be available to South Africa in the next two or three years. Now, if you take that, uh, there are about 18 million households in South Africa. That's enough capacity just from the international traffic that can come into the country to give everybody a 25 megabit line. Uh, and South Africa is not doing too badly, you know, in terms of that internet penetration, most of it is mobile and, and, and on a phone and that is still expensive and the speeds are nowhere near 25 megabits per second. But nevertheless, an incredible improvement 
if it was maybe just five or 10 years ago, with those costs always uh, looking to, to start getting better and better, the deals are, are getting cheaper all the time. So that's the, the first element of the connections that are coming outside of the country into South Africa, connecting us to the rest of the continent and the world. But the other element then is inside the country. And of course, fiber again is, is how we connect first the major cities together, and then the smaller rural areas, and then everybody inside a city. Uh, and the latest count I could find suggest that there's maybe as much as 150,000 kilometers now of fiber crisscrossing South Africa, connecting us all to each other. And in time, hopefully starting to connect to our neighbors, so that maybe Botswana, Zimbabwe, all of these countries that otherwise on their own would struggle to be able to spend on that kind of infrastructure can benefit from us having built it so supposedly out to the edges to them. And then they just have to connect basically to us and then they're connected and then the next countries connect to them rather than uh, you know starting from scratch each time they do that. And I must say, I'm I'm beginning to understand just how much I'm reliant on it. I recently lost just my internet, the fiber internet that uh, that I use at home, and I am working from home at the moment. And effectively, I have to say, well, then I can't work today. You know, you turn off my power. It's, it's, it's as good as just saying I can't do anything. And so, if you do then uh, start rolling out all of those connectivities into the cities, you effectively can start enabling a lot more processing because you've now got the data connections via the mobile networks uh, to connect up a whole lot, lot of these things. So while South Africa negatively is still being affected by load shedding and issues with water, uh, there are uh, models that have been built in other cities, sort of new developments to, to help manage things like energy provision because they're re not relying on uh, the sort of classic grid power from um, coal stations, you know, the, that kind of power, but rather from renewables. So they need to be uh, very precise about how much is being consumed and whether or not they can turn it on and off. So load shedding is actually becoming a smart thing to do rather than a dumb thing when you run out of, out of power. And the notion is that you don't turn off an entire neighborhood, you can turn off parts of homes. And even there, South Africa has been relatively innovative uh, back when we first had these problems and those ripple relays came out uh, for geezers, you know, specifically ESCOM could effectively turn them off. Couldn't do much more than that, just turn them off. Uh, but that in itself made, well, you can keep a lot more homes power on if you just turned all the geezers off. Now, imagine if you've got not just a smart meter, but a smart enabled connected meter that would allow and manage the various circuits in your home so that if ESCOM did need to reduce power, it could choose a whole you know, the entire country's homes and turn off just certain circuits that potentially weren't using to save whatever it is they needed to do there rather than, you know, massive neighborhoods going to the dark and all sorts of emergency services, et cetera, get affected. Somebody with water provision or any other of those services, you can now manage more carefully what is ultimately always going to be a bit of a finite resource, but, but in a much more clever way. And this, I, I imagine South Africans won't necessarily say, well, then I won't, uh, I won't sign up for that clever mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, but if you've got them connected, well, then uh, the billing portion becomes a little cleverer too. So you might say, well, get everybody on, uh, you know, online enabled or internet enabled banking. Uh, so you have, you have the ability to digitally make payments. Uh, and then the second part is if you at a municipality, we do need to improve things at municipalities, but they would effectively be able to say, well, you give us the right then to say, I can calculate how much services you're using and I will deduct the cost of those services as you use them. Uh, no worries about massive payment backlogs or us remembering to make those payments. It's simply what you use, you'll get billed for. You will see a bill. It'll be nice. It'll be open and transparent. Uh, Wendy hopefully won't have to go and dig through horrible <laughs> recordings and everything else. They'll be there and supplied for every consumer to see. And now the flip side is, so, well, how do we get the, the municipalities, to be honest? Well, if you're going to have all of that smart stuff 
done digitally, then of course you can have that all century uh, handled uh, by very smart data scientists sitting in things like the Auditor General's office. So as soon as municipalities start going a little off of where they're supposed to go with their spending or provision of services or you know when they've made an undertaking to provide a certain uh, allocation of something and it's not gotten done, well then you, know, you can take care of a lot of that project management as it were on a digital scale to areas that maybe don't have the capacity to look after all of that stuff themselves. And this is then where, you know, that innovation can really start growing. And this is where the data centers have, have come into the mix. And I, I don't follow this very closely because it's quite heavy IT stuff. And honestly, I don't understand how half of the stuff works. But you do get a very impressive thing when they start talking about the kind of power consumption that these uh, campuses use. Uh, one of the ones that was coming online not so long ago was 38 megawatts. And I thought, wow. That must be an enormous computer if basically all of these things com combined are using 38 megawatts. Um, and then you hear Huawei's doing this and Amazon's doing this and all these other uh, clients that are looking to do it. But the big one is the one by Vantage, uh, which they've announced that they've started the building. It'll be built in, in, in Waterfall City in, in, in Gauteng. And that's an 80 megawatt, 60,000 square meter data processing hub. Now, it'll have to come with all the clever stuff to uh, make the most of renewable energy uh, and sort all of that out. But when you've got a computer that big uh, and so effectively capacity for processing so much information, then, of course, the cost to process information will become so much cheaper, too. It'll also require a lot of very trained, skilled individuals. The so-called so planning we had to do for 4IR uh, now starts seeing if we can start delivering it. So where are those graduates and attracting all those great graduates to Gauteng, to work on all of this stuff, you know, benefits the city. You've got people who are do, willing to do have, have Colin, let's be blunt about this. Do we have the skills to truly capitalize on the huge opportunity that this additional capacity brings to us? Our education system is not churning up the sorts of people uh, like, for example, what is happening in places like India and China, where people are being very specifically trained for the future. We, we're not even training for the present adequately enough. The short answer is no. Uh, and and the failure would be to say, if we had to wait for education to improve to the point no, where this okay. could happen, it won't happen. What is very encouraging to see, and this is regardless of where you are on the planet, uh, and I think Warren Buffett has made a reference to this as well. If you are in a place that has opportunity, then your background and your educational access, et cetera, sometimes isn't the critical thing for allowing you to make something of it. And uh, I'm mindful, you know, you take somebody like an Elon Musk who said, you know, there weren't really computers around where he was. He just got involved in it and he had to scramble around and he had to work a little harder to get it. But look what he managed to achieve. He then moved to where he could do more with it. And so South Africa might not have the baseline levels uh, that's required to, to, to spin up this sort of massive industry for us. But if that investment is there, it means there is access. If you have the access, you will attract people. And this is the part where South Africa needs to, you know, really be very clever and say, listen, we need to welcome people to come here because they will then help build those industries. That will help them foster the people to be able to do the online courses, go to the better schools, improve their own abilities, and then join the ranks of the people who are doing that stuff. Rather than say, well, we'll just wait and only look after, you know, the provision when, when everybody gets, gets sorted through the traditional education systems. It's not going to work. And, and, and likewise, we've got to keep the pressure because we've got these businesses making big investments on government themselves. And they've been and they do good work as well. The, 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 the progress in the digital legis uh, legislations that come out, things like the Poppy Act, 
are good for us. They are working on making better things for having those data centers in South Africa means there's more control over, you know, how they're being processed. It's not disappearing of somewhere else and you've got to try and sue some company in America when they've done something horrible with your data. You've now got, uh, you know, the ability to have some recourse over here, as well as the government themselves building on this infrastructure, making it easier for a lot more data to be collected, a lot more transparently be made available to citizens and business and investors to see exactly what the situation is. And then, you know, open that up. Estonia is the classic example given for what uh, e-government can do to help uh, supercharge an economy and get it going. Uh, and all of that sort of comes together with a rather fun uh, um, ranking that was created of innovative cities, which uh, saw Cape Town placed 11th of all cities in the world. It got number 11. And it did use the sort of usual metrics like uh, the number of patents that were registered and the number of um, uh, top universities that they were, you know, that sort of stuff that suggests this is the usual pipeline for saying how well things are going or, or business registrations, uh, which has been a little down for South Africa for a while. But nevertheless, we, we're quite robust for that. But other ones that look to be kind of a lot more weirder or certainly not quite novel in that regard. And there was the number of ideas listed on Kickstarter, uh, in which case Cape Town has somewhere in the order of 257, which is not a lot, I wouldn't have thought. Uh, certainly there, there are countries with, with many more than that. Um, but that's the sort of sea path. Somebody is going onto a Kickstarter and saying, forget all the traditional stuff. I'm going to ask people who love my product, who love my idea to sort it out. And having the capacity and access again means you're not trying to solve some arbitrary, who needs that fixed American kind of problem where you've got another app to do something that's not necessary. You've got people here who can see the problems looking to try and address them. And if they solve the problem here, excellent. Odds are it's not just a problem here. So for the rest of Africa, they're solving a problem and now you have a bigger market. And who knows, it might be a global problem, in which case you have a massive market to address. So in all of the potential bad news and the massive amounts of work we still have to do, I just want to acknowledge that some progress has been made, that the future is looking good, assuming we all make the most of what is available to us now and start uh, doing more with the connections and, and the access to the capacity that we have. Yeah, yeah. Colin Cullis, Business Unusual on a Wednesday night. Thank you, Colin Cullis, very much indeed for joining us on The Money Show. Business Unusual brought to you by Workforce Staffing. With pandemics, load shedding and political unrest, disruptions are a reality of any growing business. South Africa's leading staffing and recruitment provider understands that a flexible workforce is critical as external interruptions become the norm. For support with agile and compliant employment services, visit workforcestaffing.co.za today.